Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, and today we have the very real privilege of talking with award-winning journalist, poet, author, and producer Judith Valente. Her accolades are many, twice finalist for Pulitzer Prize, regular contributor to national PBS TV uh, news program, Religion and Ethics, News Weekly, um, and also uh, she has received in uh, eight broadcast awards for that program. You can also hear her on National Public Radio and Chicago Public Radio, where she continues to cover religion and to interview poets and artists. Aside from degrees in English and classical languages, she has a master's in fine arts from the Art Institute here in Chicago. Judith is a guest whose message I, as a busy and activist lawyer, thought was very impractical. But recently I have come to understand it to be vital to the very spiritual survival of my life. Judith's message is a call to busy professionals to listen to and experience God through intervals of silence and contemplation. I'm an attorney and a partner with the firm of Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, not-for-profit administration to religious freedom. And you can find out more about us at malkinbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Or call us at 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter uh, to keep up to date on developments about faith and law. But today, um, Judith, we are delighted to have you on the show. You're speaking into an area that for many, many is, is foreign and um, I'm just delighted to be able to bring your ideas to our listeners. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, your ministry, particularly in the area of uh, the contemplative life, in the area of silence, and in um, adopting monastic practices and values. Well, I try to gear a lot of my talks to busy professionals like myself. Uh, just to give you an idea, just this past week I had speaking engagements Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Only two of those were in the same city. <laughs> one was one was in fact in New York, and the other all the way across here, and, and the others in Illinois, various parts of Illinois. You're the so person. Pretty, you're the person I want what? to talk to because I'm living like that, and I don't know how to do this. So. Right. Gear us. Tell me what you do. Well, I think um, the the thing that I talk about a lot is that we have to take pauses within our days. We we can't all be fortunate enough to live in a monastery. Uh, I was able to visit a monastery on a regular basis for three years, and I wrote a, a memoir about that, about what that experience was like. And, of course, there's built-in pauses when you live in a monastery or are visiting a monastery. So we have to have those built-in pauses in our day. And then the other thing is it's essential to carve out some time for silence. The great Trappist monk Thomas Burton talked about, listen to the silence. It's speaking your name. And um, one could say that's God speaking through the silence. Interestingly enough, we all know that story about um, Elijah trying to hear the voice of God, and it came not on the wind and not in the fire and not in the thunder, but in the silence. And so we have to, no matter where we are, find a place that we can go. It might be the bathroom in your, in your office building. It might be the hallway. 
Uh, if you're a teacher, it might be, you know, the library, some far corner of the library. But we have to have those those pauses for silence within our day. Well, let me ask you this. For me and for many Christians, especially those following in the Protestant tradition centered on, on uh, learning, reading, and living out the Scriptures, the idea of silence and contemplation seem to be very foreign spiritual practices. What's the why and the well, how of that? Right. Um, well, there's this, there's a lot of mythology around the word contemplation, like it's something mysterious and mystical, and it's something for people who live in monasteries or convents or ashrams in India. But being contemplative simply means to have an attitude of attentiveness and awareness. One of the Benedictine sisters I met said it's a matter of do be where you are and do what you're doing, okay? Be where you are and do what you're doing. In other words, it's not uh, it's not a multitasking type of practice or discipline. And then Thomas Merton, the great Trappist monk, once again, um, talked about the, th- the three essential words to live, to begin living the spiritual life. Now, here, H-E-R-E, and this. Now, here, this. So living now, being aware of what you're doing now, the this that you're doing here in the moment that you're doing it. Now, here, this. And I think those are important things to remember in our day, because otherwise we can get very scattered. I mean, if we're on the grocery line, we're on the grocery line. We're intent on, you know, getting done what we have to do there. Maybe we're aware of the people around us who might need help. Sometimes uh, the old, old people in the grocery store need a little help getting their shopping items on the conveyor belt or what have you, but being aware of what you're doing in the moment that you're doing it. And that's to be a contemplative. The other, the flip side of that is pray at all times. This is something that you hear in the very ancient monastics, the very, the people who went out to the Egyptian deserts in the 300s and the 400s, trying to flee the craziness of the Roman Empire. And to me, the, the Roman Empire looks a lot like our country right now. It sure does. It's very, very fractured, um, power being concentrated in a few people, um, uh, you know, outside, unknown outside forces feeling under attack by um, uncertain outside forces. So there were people who fled to the desert. And one of the things that they stressed was praying ceaselessly. Now, what did that mean? Did that mean having your Bible open every minute of the day? Okay, that would not work in corporate America. No, it meant to be aware of God's presence in everything that you're doing, in the boardroom, in the classroom, uh, in uh, driving the, the school bus to school, being aware of God's presence, and making what you do a prayer. So... A lot of the desert, these desert monks, and there were women out in the desert, too. They were called Amas. Abbas were the men, and Amas were the women. And they, they had to earn their keep. I mean, they had to earn their bread, um, and so many of them weaved baskets. So basket weaving became their time of prayer. And in fact, um, work was elevated way back in the 300s and 400s of the monastic tradition to something sacred. 
because they saw work as a, as a, a form of prayer. And I think, gosh, you know, I saw so many people. I worked for the Wall Street Journal, and I covered business. I covered corporations. And there were people who, you know, were very nice people. I'm sure they went to Mass and, and church on Sunday, and they went to temple on Friday nights. But then they got in that office on Monday, and it was dog-eat-dog, you know, you know, succeed at all costs. I sure do know that. And, and you know, I would say to myself, where did, how does this disconnect happen? And so to be a contemplative is to carry all the, of that prayerfulness and that awareness of the presence of God in everything that we're doing. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker with the law firm of Malkin Baker. Today we're speaking with Judith Valente, author of The Art of Pausing. I've got to ask you, Judith, okay, you had this incredibly busy day that you're talking about. You're talking about these practices of um, silence and of contemplation. In your week, this last week with all the traveling that you did, how did you do that? How is this practically possible mm -hmm. for us? Well, I had, um, you know, I had my pauses. I had my moments for silence. One one thing that I do, I mean, there, you know, there are times when even I was traveling with my husband, and I love traveling with him this week, but there are times when we observed silence in the car. <laughs> when we were traveling from uh, New York, we went by car, traveling back home from New York, and we observed some periods of silence in the car so we could kind of recollect ourselves, see where we were uh, in the... Every day I write a three-line poem, which is a, a form called a Japanese haiku. Mm -hmm. And some people may have studied this in, in elementary school or high school. It's a three-line poem, usually five syllables, seven syllables, and five syllables. And I try to write a three-line poem every day about something that I've observed. But why do I do that? I do that because that causes me to pay attention to the world around me. I'm looking for what are going to be my three lines that day. And while I was in New York, um, the Sunday night was the super moon. So I had a, had a haiku about the super moon. And then the next morning I came home and um, I was out and this hugely bright star, it might've been Regulus was in the sky. I go out before dawn and I collect my New York times and USA today. And, um, and then there was this, and then I saw this star, and then I saw the white tail of this rabbit flashing by me. And so my haiku was about, about the star that I saw way up in the heavens, and this, and this white tail, this sort of star on Earth, this white tail of the rabbit. So I look for those things, and that's, that's a way of pausing and slowing down as well for me. And Judith, we're the, coming the up on a break, so... Um Currently, we're talking uh, with Judith about her work. I'm Rich Baker in the Mal uh, firm of Malkin Baker, and you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. We will be back shortly. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, partner with the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with author and award-winning journalist Judith Valente on learning to hear and experience God through silence and contemplation. Judith, uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about poetry, uh, one of your loves, and um, I had asked whether you would be willing to read us one of the poems that you write on a daily basis. 
um, I believe it's in the haiku tradition. Um, and if you'd explain right. it, if you'd explain it to us, and then just read one, I'd love to hear it. Okay. Well, it's nothing. It's nothing really hard to do. It's just three lines of, of poetry. You know, very short, a little little vignettes, little moments in time. And here's one I wrote actually when I was at uh, the Abbey of Gethsemane, which is Thomas Burton's monastery. And it, it you asked about silence um, at one point, and it, it's it's about silence, but uh, it's about being in a place that's virtually silent. So, no thought, only pond. No mind, only insects buzz. No ache, only breath. All right, I'll read it again. No thought, only pond. No mind, only insects buzz. No ache, only breath. You know, when when I listen to that, it, it raises the question in me, I'm learning how vital silence is. It's not natural to me in any way. So I ask the question, and, and I know it even sounds funny, but in in my mind, what does silence sound like? How How do you be silent? Well, I think in our world, it's more like quietude that we can aim for. I, there was a study done a few years ago. Um, a, a gentleman was trying to record the sound of silence, a filmmaker, and it took 18 hours for him to just get one hour of tape in which there wasn't a car starting up, the whine of a lawnmower in the distance, or some sound. So we're not going to go, unless we go into a, some sort of space vacuum, you know, uh, where they're training people to go into outer space, we're not going to find a completely silent spot. But I find, you know, when you when you go into nature, for example, we all have parks, we all have nature preserves near where we live, and it's not silent there. I mean, the birds are having a, a, a lively conversation, the squirrels are talking to one another, but it's, it's, a, it's a healthy kind of sound. It's a it's a type of quietude, and that's what I think we want, we want to find. I think the silence is anything that's away from the telephone, the cell phone, Internet, Facebook, Instagram, and all the rest of that white noise that infects our lives. You use a couple terms, like, and I totally agree with them. You're, you're uh, pointing at technology as it becomes invasive in our lives and, and um, totally obsessive. Um, how do you do it? In your own life, how do you cut out the technology? How do you learn to be quiet? Well, I spend very little time with Facebook. <laughs> That's number one. I think Facebook and Twitter are huge time wasters. Terrible, terrible time wasters. I'm 100% you in know, agreement with you. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I set times when I look at my email and my cell phone. Otherwise, you're on that all day long. People used to talk to each other on the bus. I used to take the bus downtown to the Loop from the near north side when I worked for the Wall Street Journal Chicago Bureau, and people used to talk to each other. Now they're all looking, they're all on their cell phones tw- texting or tweeting, or they're looking at a movie on, a, on, a, on an iPad, and we're, we're connected to everybody now, and we're connected to no one. To no one, yes. That's what social media has done to us. Uh, Judith, even, even more than that. limits on it. I, I absolutely agree with you. Even more than that, I remember a story about 
uh, written by a person who was driving across country on a Greyhound bus, and it was late at night. And he said at that time, this was the 40s, they'd all sing together the same songs on the bus. That was their entertainment, but they were doing it together, and there weren't radios and those kinds of things. And yeah. How I miss that. What's not happen today? Yeah, how I miss that. And, and uh, about the only time you see people really singing together is in church, and that's a, that's a wonderful thing that's uh, still taking so place. My message on, on social media is to make no mistake, it's a form of noise in our lives. Right. You uh, weren't always this way. In your writings, you, you describe yourself as a recover, recovering workaholic. Right. Uh, at some point, you ended up visiting a monastery. What happened there? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, as you know, a recovering alcoholic is always a, an alcoholic, and a recovering workaholic yep. is always a workaholic. Yeah, it's absolutely. That you, that, you, that you struggle with day by day. Um, I think I saw people, well, okay, I'll, t- I'll give you an example. One of the things that really struck me was that when it was time for prayer, a bell would ring. Uh, this particular monastery prays four times a day. Some pray as many as eight times a day. But when the bell would ring, people would drop whatever they were doing. I mean, literally drop it if you were in the middle of a sentence or something and go to the chapel for prayer because... The, the monastic rule says nothing is to be, be preferred to the work of God. And what is the work of God for a monastic? It's prayer. And I found that very difficult at first. I mean, I'd literally be in the middle of, of writing a sentence or something, but I learned to do that. I learned to do that because prayer became more important then than anything. That time with God became more important than anything that I was doing in my little writing life. And also, I didn't want to miss that time with the community. Something that monasticism has to teach us is the significance of community, where you have all these people from all different backgrounds thrown together. And somehow, your, your vow is to live with them. You take a vow of stability, which means you're going to live with them for the rest of your life. It's kind of like marriage, of which I'm a, I'm a married person, so I understand that. And you're going. To, you're also vowing to try to lift them up, to help them be the best person that they could be, and you can expect that back from them. And I think we have a lot to learn. We've forgotten something in our country, and it's come out very clearly in this past election. We've forgotten that how to be community. We've become these these little enclaves and these little cells that think we have to war against each other and have to. Um, oh, I don't want to use the word demonize, but somehow underscore the di- that the differences. Those people are different. Uh, they're not part of us, and that's just wrong. We're one America, and we're one community, and I think we need to get back to that. I I have so many questions as you talk, and and I'm so attracted to this. Uh, two questions. One one will be how in this last season uh, you've maintained a contemplative um, attitude because it has been so divisive. But the, even before that, um, you've written several books. You're now working on a new project, I believe. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Right. Um, well, my, my last two books, when one was the memoir on spending time at a monastery in the heart of America's heartland, Mount St. Scholastica in Atchison, Kansas. And then I wrote, as a result of that experience of being in a monastery, I wrote The Art of Pausing, 
meditations for the overworked and overwhelmed because I saw the need for that kind of a book for people like me, recovering workaholics. And now I'm actually taking the ancient monastic rule, the guidebook for how to live in a monastery, which is called the Rule of St. Benedict, and I'm taking passages from that and showing how we can apply them to our everyday lives, both in family life and in the business world. So um, I'm writing reflections on the ancient monastic rule for everyday living. That sounds so foreign and yet so essential in this in this world that we're in now. Let me ask you one last question because we are coming to the end of this program. Um, how have you weathered the last 16 months in this election season and how have you maintained um, that contemplative life in the midst of all that's been going on? Well, I read the Psalms, to tell you the truth. The Psalms are a great comfort. Um, the, the, the Psalms of lament are, are, are a great comfort to me. Um, it's been very, very disturbing. You pick up the New York Times and you see our fellow citizens saying things uh, like Heil victory, Heil to the people, um, using obvious Nazi terminology to talk about our African Americans, our Muslim Americans, our Jewish Americans. Um, and so I've had to, to, to really turn to the Psalms um, and and take comfort in them. I also think that we we have to be contemplatives in action sometime. Um, Rich, you're involved in religious freedom, and I know that you would not stand for a registry of, of people simply because of the faith that they choose to to practice in our in our free society. And uh, we, as uh, my my Benedictine Oblate group, my Benedictine Lay Associate group, decided at our meeting yesterday that if there is a registry of Muslims, we as Christians will sign our names as Christians war stars of David in, in Germany and, and in Holland and other places, because we feel very strongly that an attack on anyone's religious freedom is an attack on all of our I think that's all of our very, very true. You know what? We are out of time. Judith, we really appreciate you coming on today. i got to no ask thanks. you this, though. How do we know how to get a hold of your books? Do you have a website? What can we do to find out more about what you're doing? Okay, my books, um, well, you can go to judithpalente.com or amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. We'll have uh, The Art of Pausing, and also Atchison Blue is the memoir of my time at the monastery in Atchison. And um, I'm always happy to hear from people on my website. A lot of people just write me and ask me questions about the contemplative life and always happy to hear from them. That's fantastic. Thank you, Judith. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact Malkin Baker. You can get us at 312-726-1243. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.